Hello, everyone. My name is Mike the Car Guy, and you've turned into the first pencil with Mike and Kathy. And the Kathy part of that is my awesome, awesome best bud and wicked cool car gal, Kathy Cruz. Kathy, how are you today? I'm great. And uh, I was thinking I could be called Kathy the Car Gal. <laughs> you could be. <laughs> Nothing stopping you from doing, but you're you have the classic name anyway, Cruise Cruise Control. I know, I know, I know. That's it's like uh, the you were born to be in the car business. You had no real say in it, isn't it? It I didn't really. Yeah, you were predestined. Weird. Yeah, and to be awesome, not just be in it, but be awesome in it. I tried when I started Cruise Control. Um, I was still in retail, and um, I just started it as a company, right, to just do stuff on the side or when I was in between jobs and things like that, and. Uh, my friend who at the time was a uh, like a agent in Hollywood um, and I was going to call it something else. I was trying to think what to call it. And she said, you have to call it cruise control. I'm like, oh, no, no. no. And I think it's because for years and years, I worked for people that their name was the name of the company and or the dealership. And they would say things, you know, like, you know, if you don't like it, you know, my name's on the sign outside, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, so I never wanted to do that, but then she's like, you, I'm going to hate you if you don't do it. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do it. So I did. And now I'm glad I did because everybody, everybody says, Oh, that's the great best name for your company. Genius. (laughs) So anyway, hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Lots to talk about this, uh, this week. There's so much going on in the in the car business and when you talk about change a lot of times the the unspoken implication is it's like immediate change right you know what's going to change from today to tomorrow and i think when we focus on that so heavily we really take our eyes off the long term the big picture and we focus on the details of how are things changing immediately but that allows i think the some of the nefarious actors out there to really keep our focus on you know short-term things and and make efforts and strides towards their long-term goals you know a couple months ago before hitting record you and I were sharing I remember seeing a post from kind of a well-known figure in the industry Brian Binstock you know with uh, with Paragon he's he's a very um, prominent uh, authority figure in in our industry runs one of the most successful Honda and Acura stores in the nation Uh, back in 2005 when I was starting to really get into digital and try to figure out how I could work the the technology that digital and social offered, you know, how I could use it to and apply it to the dealership that I was working at. He was one of the first guys that I started to follow. Um, he was very instrumental with uh, member BZ results, the, mm-hmm. the website company. Yep. They, that was their flagship dealership was Paragon. So he was, he was a forward thinking guy, you know, all online business, all online service, you know, set up to go pick up your vehicles wherever you're at in the the greater New York City area. He's just been doing a lot of things at the leading edge. And recently he came back from, I want to say it was Amsterdam or someplace uh, in Europe at a conference, an automotive conference. And he really was moved by some of the things that are happening outside of the United States. And to the point where he was sharing you know, you, you, we need to be aware of it. We need to stop just pretending that the franchise model is protected and it's always going to be that way. You know, the factories would like to move to a more involved uh, position, uh, be it- Where they've always wanted to be. Where they've always wanted to be, right? Uh, and so we know in Europe, there's a lot less um, 
of the type of business where we have it. You know, a customer walks in, sees a car they like, drives it, says, this is the one I want to drive, works out a deal. In Europe, most of the time you go into a, a boutique or a showroom, you sit down and you work out the vehicle you'd like, you build it, you place the order, you get a call when it's ready for delivery and you pick it up. More along the lines of what the factory would like to do here, right? <laughs> but it's already in process. And, and Brian was very very firm in his warnings that if we're not careful, it's going to sneak in over here. And and I shared you with shared with you an article this morning that Mercedes has done just that in Australia. They just kind of carte blanche took over the Mercedes dealerships and said, we're going to set the price. We're going to set the, the vehicles. We're going to be in charge of everything. So you in a sense are just going to be a delivery center and you know dealers are in mass trying to file suit and fight against it but it's it's happening yeah it's happening all right um and while yeah the united states has a lot it's a it's a much different much more uh dealer centric uh industry than it is over there um things can change things can move and if certainly when uh, all this talk about direct to consumer selling, and I think consumers now want that. Be you know, years ago that wasn't the case. Now some dealers, some customers do want that. Um, yeah, that article. I'll put it in the show notes. That article about the Mercedes Benz or uh, dealers in Australia trying to fight it. Um, I have seen um, situations like this, this similar type of litigation um, before, and dealers have come out okay or all right on it but uh but with the winds of change are happening and um, it's hard to really see like if that did happen here i mean we do have franchise laws we do have um certain things in place but um like that when you shared that article with me i wrote on linkedin that i've been in the carpets my entire life and i was in management early because i had a a mentor that was a super successful dealer here in SoCal. And um, he always had a very healthy contempt for the factory and he never really trusted them completely. And I, of course, now I have had that my entire life because of his influence. And so my thing is like dealers that have signed these agreements, because in that article, it talks about they signed agreements um, in order to get, you know, preferential treatment, which is where you run into trouble in the United States. I don't know about Australia, but you do run into trouble here with that type of thing. Um, and so I'm not sure, you know, but I have, like I say, I have seen tries at this before, but the at the end of the day, I think my point uh, that I want to make is that um, years ago when, you know, it was mostly private stores and you had kind of entrepreneurial guys that or actually car guys that just loved what they did. You know, they just loved like selling cars to people. And um, we don't have a lot of that today anymore. And the public companies uh, own a lot of stores. And um, and there's a race amongst the public companies to buy them all, I think. Yeah, yeah yes. And I feel like that, that kind of spirit of that being the entrepreneur and being really like, just really wanting to sell cars to people. And that is kind of missing now. And what came with that, that, that mindset was 
focusing and making sure you weren't getting like you weren't getting shafted right in any function but so that now you've got like these the general managers and people are removed from that kind of like situation and i feel like I've felt like this for years that dealers were much stronger years, years ago. And now um, if you let your guard down, you know, the factory or someone else can come in and, and disrupt it. And I just feel like what I've seen in the last, you know, dozen years or so is just people not really caring about that, not really taking a stance and people meaning like the dealer body. Right. There used to be like really strong dealer bodies in different franchises. You'd have a really strong, you know, dealer advertising association or whatever it was, would be. And those have all kind of fallen to the wayside, mostly probably because of public companies. But um, I think you're right. I think a lot of complacency may yeah, have come from good. that comfort that someone is looking out for us. NADA is out there protecting us yeah. the california new car dealers association is going to save us from you know changes mm -hmm. and i think in the last few years obviously in the last few years there's been so much that's never been anticipated and and completely unprecedented you know covid hit inventories went away and i think that there's still a lot of people out there that think we're going to get back to a you know situation normal where their lot's going to be full of cars are going to have six seven hundred cars out there and the factory in this whole time has seen we don't have to help dealers floor six seven hundred cars we're still selling cars and we know with just we've talked about it a couple times on our show you know ford not to call them out but when they rolled out their ev wing they sent new dealer agreements to their stores yep. as a separate Franchise agreement. Here it is. If you want to sell Mach-E's, you got to sign on. And I had a couple of stores that, you know, I'm in stores all day, every day, multiple stores talking to people. And inevitably, the conversation will veer off of whatever I'm there to consult with. We just talk, start talking shop and we start talking about the business. And I had a dealer say, you know, we didn't sign the, the Mach-E agreement um, because of the, the trade-in policies. You know, Ford left the dealership on the hook for the trade-in. Ford, you know, customer goes onto the Ford's website, builds a Mach-E, says, now I have a trade. Here's the values off of whatever support that Ford is using, be it KBB or Blackbook back east, you know, here's the agreed upon value. Then the vehicle comes to get delivered. The guy comes in with his trade and his trade value. The dealership's kind of on the hook. Mm-hmm take in that trade at that agreed upon value and if they send it to the auction and it sells for let's say three grand less than that value well the dealer the dealer owns it and they had a problem with that but in their pma they were the only holdout that didn't sign that agreement mm. which tells me that everybody else just kind of signed off didn't read exactly. through it you know oh, i'm sure it's going to be okay you know yeah. here you go sign off we need to sell it we don't want to be the ones that don't sell it yeah and you know, they kept inching towards this complete consumer to, you know, factory to consumer model with their EVs now, like the EV um, or the hybrid Maverick isn't going to be available for inventory. So dealers won't have one sitting there for a customer to come in and test drive. If the customer wants one, they got to order it. They're only building them to order. And we know that in the years past, dealers would order vehicles under Joe Blow or you know, John Bender, or Tom Hanks or whatever, just to have inventory. Yeah. And we know now that they're threatening 
all kinds of problems if like Ford is very specific, if less than 80% of your custom orders don't get delivered to those people whose names they were ordered on, you're going to have problems. And they're not even allowing the vehicle in to just be one as a display vehicle. They are sending out dealer demo vehicles on okay, a one good. per. Okay. Like um, the dealership right down the street from me has a lightning right now. They won't get their first deliveries for still a few more weeks, but they have a lightning in stock. That's the dealer's vehicle for demos. If you think about it, it really is their, their ball game because they... Right now, people that want those vehicles that want a lightning are there. They'd like to test drive it, but they, you know, they probably are ready to just go for it. Yeah. And yeah. over the course of the last three years, more and more people have demonstrated that they're willing to skip some of those steps mm -hmm. and, and go completely. You know, before pandemic, it was like what, 3% of all vehicles were done completely online. Now it's into almost 30 percent that's a huge gain yeah huge. it's not going to ever take over we know that it's it, there's never going to be a time when they're all done that way right because realistically you could have ordered a, i mean i've ordered customer cars for 30 years you know it's always been an option you always had the option to order it exactly the way you want i mean that was the the thing about in the 60s right people go in and, and put a hemi in a dart and you could because they just like <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> whatever you want man you know i wish you could do that now <laughs> i wish we could but you know you've always been able to order the cars the way you wanted it and very few people did but now it's it's a new generation there's new attitudes out there there's less willingness to go in and and sit down and go through that hassle you know younger folks don't want to go in and, and negotiate they really don't yeah. i hear from from salespeople all the time that it's it's not about the price. It's just the payment. Tell me what the payment is. If I can afford the payment, let's rock and roll. If yeah. not, let's get the payment to where I need to be. So the attention has now been shifted completely from what's the selling price to what's it cost me per month. Right, right. And I'm <clears throat> kind of worried about that because you know the average price of a new car these days is like forty eight thousand, I think forty seven and change. Um. I mean, how do you, how does someone afford that? Maybe leasing will be become more pre prevalent, perhaps. Um, that was one of Cox Automotive's um, predictions. I just saw that they uh, circled back to their predictions that they had in January and they were pretty good. They gave themselves a B, but um, uh, one of them was that um, leasing hadn't become more prevalent. Um, and But I think it will eventually because people just, I how much is a payment on a, you know, even fifty thousand dollars. There's just, I mean, that's crazy. Even it, if you do nine hundred, a thousand, or more, because also interest rates, right? So we've got interest rates possibly uh, coming up, and then, um, and even if you stretch it out to whatever ungodly amount of months they won't do it, but you know, eight nine years or something. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just. It's... Which in turn affects the trade cycle because, you know, we've done as an industry, we've done a really good job of conditioning the bulk of American buyers yeah. to three, three and a half years. Yeah. They get that bug. They want something new and shiny They're They see their neighbors have a new car. They want their new car. They pull in just to see what they can do. And we hit them with the new car. Well, yeah. three and a half years on a car that just last summer, they paid $20,000 over MSRP for right. 
there's going to be enough time to put them in a good position on that car. No, no. If you think about, because the way the business model works for a dealership is you sell the new car, then you service it while they have that. And then when it's up, you take it in on trade and you sell them a new one. That's, you know, that's the ideal scenario, right? Um, but that's not going to happen when you've got somebody that they, maybe they might come for service for all the time that they are going to have that, the term of their loan, but maybe they won't right after the warranty's up. And then, so that doesn't guarantee any deal or any income there. And so then, you know, I don't know. I just, yeah. I mean, this is, it seems like not great. <laughs> I trained, you know, sales teams for many years to, to fish out of the service drive. You know, we'd find right. people that weren't and thinking about trading that weren't in the mood to trade, yeah. but you know, if it's a nice car and the market's right, you know, for a time I would send anytime there was a relatively new fusion in the driveway, I'd send it, have salespeople just hitting them up, you yeah. know, and, and, and the reverse kind of psychology, right. Kind of like that auto alert, like not trying to sell them a car, but trying to get their car from them because we've got buyers over here that are looking for really good quality, recent model fusion. So we may be able to get your car off your hands, sell it to these folks out here. And in exchange, We'll get you into a new one, probably right around the same payment or even less. And it worked a lot of times because the market was pretty strong. Right now, if I was back in the dealership, don't, don't go to the service. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Guy pulls in a, you know, a year old, two year old F one fifty. No, don't, <laughs> don't try it again. No, no, no. Or a Toyota store. I mean, I got, I've seen Toyota stores that are doing the same thing, you know, 20 grand over, 15 grand over on, on a Tundra. No offense towards a Toyota Tundra pickup, but it, it's still just a half-ton pickup. And at that point, if it's a Ram, a Tundra, F-150, a Titan, a Silverado, 20 grand over, they're not limited edition pieces. They're not like, you know, it's just a mass-produced piece. In fact, the 150 is the most sold vehicle on the planet. And to charge a premium over it when they come back, that's going to be a tough call. That is, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe then we we just start working in the metaverse where we can do things, you know, <laughs> virtually. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I'm just laughing. The metaverse. Because, yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm sure you're alluding to the fact that I sat in on a, a Facebook slash meta. Uh, they called it the autoverse. Uh, you picked up on that, did you? That was my segue. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, this webinar was quite, quite... Uh, Cringy? No, um, it was almost satire, almost to me. I thought perhaps I was being punked, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine that these people were serious. And, um, and I, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I am snarky sometimes. I do know that I am. So um, just bear that in mind. But um, shall I tell you about it? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I want to know. I, I wish I would have been able to sit in with you because I saw your posts afterwards and I was like, wow, that's a, some pretty strong sentiment you're sharing there. Yeah. And I have the link to it. I found the link. I, I Usually when you do a webinar, they send you the link to the replay, but this didn't happen. So, but I did find it. So um, they don't want people to, to go in and look at it. <laughs> can, can enjoy themselves with it because holy moly. Um, so I think the premise of it was to get more, I don't know, 
it certainly wasn't dealers, but maybe factory people, or I don't know, but I'm not sure who the audience really was because maybe it was a, a car customer, but it, they were just promoting the metaverse thing, which is basically just um, VR, right? It's um, uh, a virtual world where you do things and great, okay, that's fine. But they're trying to introduce it into the automotive retail experience and, uh, and no one, at least on that webinar, and it's clear that they don't have many people guiding them from automotive retail because they were, it was laughable almost the things that they were saying. And so one of the things they had the global creative director who is in, I wanna say the Netherlands, maybe some somewhere in that area. Um, and the dude, um, he looked like he was either homeless or not very, um, just just unkempt is the word. So, okay, you know, maybe just dress up a little bit. I don't know, but- Freshen up a little. You know, and they were all reading from scripts, which you could you could tell they were reading from scripts. That's not a good look. But so let me get to, so he, at this global creative director um, uh, said that a virtual test drive could be quote unquote, far superior to an actual test drive. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't don't think that's in any way true. Um, I think they've maybe been spending too much time in the VR world, um, and certainly not in in the real world. Um, and it's because you know we know what customers want to know. They don't they don't care about any of that like fancy you know metaverse stuff. They want they want to know what the price of the car is, what the payment is, terms, you know, warranty, reliability, how much for my trade, that type of stuff. And um, but this guy said, you can turn a flat image of a car into a rich, massive experience. Okay, is that going to sell the car? No. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying it's terrible, bad. It's just that it's, it's just completely, to me, disconnected from the real world. I was just going to say disconnected. That's yeah. the word. Um, people don't want to do that. They don't. And people like have to naturally want it for it to work, right? For you to want to do it. And I think it just has to be like when Facebook first came on the scene, people naturally took to it because you could connect with your friends and you could share images of whatever. And now it's almost like they're saying, well, this is how it's going to be in the future. They even had, they said that there was three people on the webinar and they said, all of us live in different places, but as you can see, and they put it up on the screen, you can see we're all sitting at a table in the metaverse. I'm like, okay, but who gives a shit? Right. It's almost <laughs> like a bad meme. Forever anyways, right? It's become like a bad meme, right? You know, where it says yeah. like absolutely no one, and then Facebook, this is how it's going to be. <laughs> no yeah. one wanted this. No one, no one is asking for this. No one is visioning, you know, thinking, oh, it would be so cool to wear this headset and and virtually go to a car dealership and kick tires. They kept using the word massive. They they used it that you could use the, met, the metaverse as like a, a, a massive experience at scale to train your dealers. So um, they, and but they didn't show any like proof that, that, that the outcomes of using metaverse versus what the factory is doing now for training. Um, they didn't show any like data that, that it improves it. Uh, maybe it does, but they didn't show any data. I think it's just because it's kind of pie in the sky thinking. And anyway, I just feel like it's a 
it's a solution in search of a problem at this point. And Facebook needs to Facebook slash Meta needs they need car people to guide them. And it's worrisome because in the same week that this webinar was last week, um, it was also the uh, Instagram feed became a nightmare. Um, and, and then they backtracked on that and switched to walk that back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And my, uh, it was literally, I couldn't even go on the app. It was that bad. And they, it was just, and then, so by, I think Monday or Tuesday this week, I think I had my feedback, which is great. Um, but again, it's more of that we're giving, instead of listening to your customers and what they really want, because for God's sakes, Facebook meta and including Instagram and all of that, they have enough data, behavioral data to see what people really want. And then just, and if you need to just survey people or ask them or give them, but don't just push something on people and say, it's going to be awesome because that isn't how you get adoption and certainly not an automotive retail. It's not going to happen. I can see when you mentioned training, I can see some value there, you sure. know, rather than sitting on a, on a zoom meeting, you know, if sure. I'm a, salesperson or a technician, you know, mm -hmm. new product come out, yep. uh, you have a factory person going through it. Yeah. Meta would be a, a great training um, resource to go out into the real world and put it into practice. Mm -hmm. Even mm -hmm. sales training, you know, but it, it's all with the intent of using it in the real world, mm -hmm. not keeping it in a virtual world. Right. And I think that's where they may be missing it. They're assuming that it's all going to stay in a virtual world where the, the skills and tools and, and things that we need are going to be needed in the real world. Right? Yeah. I, like I say that uh, it may have, um, because that, that idea of training has been around for a while. So I, there may be data on it, but show me where it's, it's, it improves the student's ability to retain or to learn more or, you know, whatever the outcome is, the desired outcome. Is it, is it uh, enhancing that? Great. Then let's look at it. If it's not, and it's just another little, you know, little, I don't know, VR, you know, game or something, then why bother? So um, anyway, I just, yeah, I had to write about it on just, I just did a post on LinkedIn and I put on Twitter as well, but it just. But that post has gotten some, some engagement and come to the attention of some people that yeah. uh pretty impressive <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah my friend andrew street he he's with dealer omg uh they i met him years ago at the texas independent auto dealer association conference he and i both spoke and i was so happy to see somebody that was like like me that was like facebook ads are awesome right and um so uh he's down in austin and he had, he worked for facebook so uh he's got connections there and he he's um he was like saying, you know, that some people have looked at it and some people have seen, you know, and no noticed it. And um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I just, you know, I don't, I hopefully, <laughs> I always want to come off like, I don't want to seem snarky, but I also don't want to sugarcoat it because, you know, people like when you sugarcoat things, it makes people feel comfortable. And maybe this comes from my years of as a CFO. Like I was always the one that was the bearer of the bad news. I had I was the one who had to say no, but I was also the one that said, "Well, how can we do it? What if we want to do it? How can we do it? That's the right way too." But um, anyway, so I just uh, 
uh, they need to get different people. Um, they need to get more, they need to get buy-in. And I think they need to understand the relationship that the factory has with dealers and dealers with the factory. And then of course, dealers with their customers. You have to, and that- I think gets, they need to send some of these, these meta people that are you know developing this virtual world out into the real world. Make them go work the line for six months. Make them go out into a dealership. Six months on the line. (laughs) Time out there interacting in the real world, which is probably something they don't want to do. That's why they're creating a a fake world. (laughs) But it would help them. You know, if you're not in automotive, it's, it's, it's an interesting business. It's, it's, it's not something you can look at from the outside in and say, this is how it could be done better. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, I was just talking to a couple of CPAs, um, uh, that uh, our car business CPAs and, and we were just saying, you know, how it's such a different business. And so when you have a, a, a CPA firm that wants to start in automotive, it's a different world. It's just a different world. I remember years ago, I was at a dealership that was owned by a gentleman that was super wealthy and he had a group of stores. And so he is, uh, accountants were Price Waterhouse at the time. I think it's called PwC now, but and they came in and they didn't. I had to explain how a car deal works and how a pay plan works and how service works and how the flow of the dealership works. And they didn't know anything about it. And so, yeah, it's 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 very different business. And I always I always tell people like that: you go work a line for six months and you'll get a healthy respect for people in the car business. I can tell you, and customers too, because it's it's not easy. Yeah. So we'll see. It's been, it's been, you know, Facebook had quite a week last week. It was uh, the metaverse slash autoverse webinar. And then there was their earnings call and they lost money for the first time and some other things not looking very good. Um, and then, and then the Instagram feed debacle that was just insanity. It was crazy. It oh was, God. you never knew what you were going to get when you logged in oh and opened that app. I literally couldn't go on. And I am, you know, every day I go on Instagram to see Beth Stern's account. Beth Stern is Howard Stern's wife. She's a kitten adopter. She she rescues kittens and adopts them out. And she's been doing it forever. And then it's really cool the way she works because the people that adopt the kittens or the cats um, get their own Instagram accounts. And so everybody that follows Beth will follow them. And it's, it's like a network that just keeps growing. And so every day I go on and I see what she posted every day because she's got about 10 posts a day. So um, so I, I did was able to do that for that amount of time. But the rest of it, I was like, I got to get, I can't. It made me feel anxious. It was weird. So Which makes you wonder internally what kind of hits they saw. Right. That they, they walked it back that quickly. You know, were, yes. were they just going, holy crap, we screwed that up. Yes. It had to be like, user you know you the use numbers exodus of people out just yeah yeah but i am very glad they decided not to to roll that back out because it was the whole you know the volume thing on the video it would be automatic it would you'd have to it said a little note said control with your phone's volume control i'm like what so I turn up the volume on this one video and then I scroll and all of a sudden the volume's on the, the next video. I'm like, I don't want that. I want control. I don't, because you're not always in a place where you can have sound. So if you just want to have sound on one, 
but I see where they were going with it because they want you to have the sound on so you'll hear the ads. Okay. <laughs> so again, not, I just don't know what they were thinking because uh, even the Kardashians, right? Did you saw their post? They had a post that said, make Instagram, Instagram again. Yeah, the two, I think it was Kim and Kylie, I think, yeah, Kim and Kylie, which, you know, between them, they have. They make their living <laughs> off of Insta. Right. So, yeah, once they did that, they did that the next day after the rollout, they did that the next day, and then it took about four days to backtrack. And yeah, that's not good, man. And so my thing is like, why don't, why don't you ask users or pay attention to what users like? Don't force video on us when we don't really want it. I'm a, I like, like, I like stock vehicles. I like stock the way that it was. And I like Instagram OG where it was just photos. I'll take a, a video here and there, but I want it's just photos, pretty photos. I like that. Right. I always wonder when they make these changes, you know, everyone you talk to doesn't like it. So at some point, why do they keep doing that? You right. know, just yep. if there's no one out there saying, I like this. Right. Kind of makes you wonder, like, of all things, like, you know, I, I just saw an article a couple of days ago that the um, that Congress is now stepping in with the FTC on robocalls. Right. It's gotten to a point where so many people mm -hmm. are just tired of answering their phones, won't answer it anymore. And a bulk of them is, you know, for things like extending your car's warranties. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and it's a joke. Right. You know, how many times a day do you see a, a tweet post or a Facebook post, you know, and there's millions of memes created by, you know, a, a cop stops a guy, walks up to the window. Hey, I've been trying to get a hold of you about your car's warranty. You know, people in space, you know, it's funny. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, when has this ever worked? I don't know anyone that's bought an extended warranty for their car off of a phone call. And yet more and more. So if it's not working, why keep trying it? Right. It must be working. It's got to, somebody's had to have sold a warranty over the phone to somebody for them to keep people keep coming into that market and trying to. And if to I was a politician uh, and wanted to make people happy, constituents happy, I would be all over that because everybody, every single person is up to their, is just had enough, enough already. Yeah. And they're saying like over 60% of all calls dialed right now are robocalls. They're, they're not human oh. calls. That's a that's a tremendous volume of traffic, and it keeps growing. So that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I want to answer the phone if I if the person's yeah. name isn't in my my phone list, and I've got an extensive list over the years. If they're not in the list, I don't answer it. Yep, yep. It's really hard when um, you know I want to take calls from clients or potential clients, right? But and there's oftentimes where I look at it and I'm like. I don't know. Usually I don't answer and usually I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, it's just not good. Even Verizon has like this call alert or something app. So I use that. It doesn't, it yeah. works maybe 50% of the time, but Apple, I mean, Apple is one of the, the most stringent and there's no way to block them all. Nope. You're not going to get them all. No, they use that software where it masks the phone number. So they just, once it's been blocked, then they just use the next one. They'll just pick up the next one in rotation. 
and they know the the area code of the call the, the phone that they're calling so they'll pick up a local so it looks like it's from your same area code oh 909 i'll, I'll answer that it must be yeah. someone local nope i'm not doing it yeah. <sighs> all right i think we've voiced enough gripe <laughs> but it's good to vent it out right get it all off our chest yeah Let's start with something fun yeah I, yeah, I like, I just hope that things turn around and are better. You know, we live in a world that's being in automotive industry that's being disrupted and it's, you have to be vigilant. And Short term and long term, I think yep. there isn't, there isn't one aspect of our industry right now, I think that's not in a state of just tumultuous overturn. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's going to be an interesting few years. It yeah. really is to see how it all shakes out and what the long-term plays are from the factories, from, you know, the, the government, how they regulate, you know, how much effect lobbyists have. I mean, there's just the state of the franchise is really uncertain. Yeah. And that's not a doom and gloom. I'm not saying it's over, or, you know, the sky is falling. I'm just saying it's, it's changing. It's changing in front of us. And to pretend that it isn't, is kind of stupid because that's, that's when it, it, it falls apart on you and that's when you know stuff happens you're not expecting and you'll end up losing like the factory we just need you know, to keep like our head up what's happening in australia right yeah when you're in denial you miss things like that and then next thing you know you're like uh oh and then it's too late don't assume anything don't assume we're protected don't assume nada has our back to the point where we're untouchable as an industry and you know, from the other side, the consumers are wanting change. Consumers yeah. aren't going to keep doing it simply because we say this is how it has to be. Yeah. I've said for many years as an industry, we got to stop forcing customers to buy the way we want to sell. We've got to be open to the way they want to buy cars. And the ones that figure that out are going to be successful in the long run. Yep. Yep. Can agree more, dude. That's why we're best buds. <laughs> So let's talk about something fun. We always try to end our show on a, on a musical note, uh, metaphorically and, and realistically. So um, I was kind of one mulling over. Um, most of my inspirations come from from Twitter. I, I follow a lot of music um, Twitter feeds, a couple DJs, a couple guys that admittedly are stuck in the 80s that, you know, they just refuse yes. to acknowledge anything else other than, than early 80s. And uh, one of them posted a question the other day you know what's what's your favorite um underrated or slash one hit wonder and i put um the call because back in in the day i honestly i was such a big fan i thought they were going to be the next u2 the next you know huge huge band um obviously i missed that one <laughs> but that, that doesn't mean they're not a great band they had some really they didn't just have one good song i mean the walls came down got a lot of mm -hmm. airplay on mtv it was a great video yeah but still believe uh, was a great yeah. song it was covered in one of my all-time favorite movies the lost boys um with the shirtless sax player <laughs> uh, <laughs> everywhere i go i mean they had a, a, yeah. a really solid great songs they were a great band to see live and then they were gone. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many bands like that, that just had like all the premise and potential. And I think one hit wonder is kind of a, a, 
a negative you know you just assume bad like that's all they had in them was one good song and they couldn't produce anything else yep. but there's a lot of good bands that simply just couldn't make it in the long run with continued good quality stuff yeah uh i, I agree i think um i was one the one few things that i did music wise this week um i watched uh there's a band called Badfinger from the yeah. 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were kind of like, for a while, I read a lot about them because I was curious because the two two of their main people, the lead singer and their lead guitar guy, uh, committed suicide. And um, so they, at one time, were part of Apple Records and were either managed or something by Paul McCartney. And then something happened. They had this, this terrible manager that came in and just, I think, screwed him over and had him sign these ridiculous uh, contracts and stuff. And the one dude, the lead singer, committed suicide over it. And um, the second guy was so distraught from that and from just going forward with anything, it, he committed suicide too. And so here's both these guys. And so they, and it, same thing, they were thought of as um, like the next big band. Like they were, yeah. they were yeah. very talented, right? And, um, but a lot of it, I think the reason that came in my mind when you were talking is that it could have happened to the call is um, something like a bad manager or it's a record company, you know, corporate, just, uh, you know, bad people taking advantage of a band that doesn't know any better right um I, it's a it's such a in that time that happened probably more than than we'll ever know yeah agree i think so yes it and was definitely not was awesome they were from here they were from from santa cruz right in california uh, san francisco i think san francisco yeah something yeah and it was somewhere up north yeah yeah yeah, I saw them. I saw them. Um, I'm pretty sure at the Golden Bear in Huntington Beach. I think. Um, I think. But yeah, I saw them. I think it was the summer of I want to say '82 or '80. Maybe it was '83. Um, Magic Mountain had a great series oh, yeah. of shows. I saw yeah. the Snake Furs there, Berlin, Missing Persons, The Call. Uh, NXS was there. NXS was there. Yep. I'm almost sure I saw that one. I mean, yep. it would seem like every weekend they had them. Well, at that time, it was a major act, you know, yeah. not just a, like a local. Um, Berlin started as a local, but when, once they got national prominence, uh, I think after the US Festival, they kind of kicked off and, and and blew up before Top Gun. Before Top Gun, they were they were a pretty big band. And so to see a, a band like that was kind of cool. At uh, In Psych First, you know, shit, they were huge. They were like seeing, you know, I won't say Elvis Costello, but they were seen like a, you know, they were, they were a big act to see at Magic Mountain. It was kind of yes, cool. Yes, they were. Yeah, I think it was 83 and only because uh, that same tour that NXS was on, I went to, they were at the Cal Poly Pomona. Uh, and so I saw that it was, that was the one where my friend dragged me because it was Adam Ant. And Adam I Ant. didn't, I did not like Adam Ant at all. And NXS opened for them, opened for Adam Ant. So. I thought he was the greatest. I thought he I was know. so cool. I know. I wish I wish you could have seen him. It was it was good. Yeah. It's good. I saw him on the Friend or Foe tour. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> that was with his his second iteration because you know Malcolm McLaren took his first ants and gave those ants to Annabella Lewin, who he discovered in Sri Lanka. And as much as I like Bow Wow Wow, I always thought it was kind of funny that 
you know, this this brainchild project of Malcolm McLaren, who's like the genius of all English, you know, producers. He said, oh, Adam, beat it. I'm going to take your band and give it to this girl that I brought in. She's this is going to be the next biggest thing. They weren't the next biggest thing. Adam got new ants and was much bigger on his own. So it's kind of like an F you to Mac Malcolm McLaren. <laughs> right. And in fact, uh, their album was it Sea Jungle had a picture. It was a reenactment of a famous painting by a lake where Annabella Lewin is kind of sitting, you know, um, with her arms around her knees and she's nude, but you can't see anything. It's, you know, mm -hmm. but because she was 15 or 16, when that picture was taken, it was considered child pornography. And so that, that record was banned in the United States and I still have it. <gasps> wow. Dude. But not because it's, it's, she's naked. I just have it because it's. Cause you bought it. Yeah. You bought it and you were, you got lucky basically. I wonder if it's worth any money. I don't think so. Probably not because they're not that big. <laughs> <laughs> not like the um, where the Beatles had something like that where they had like um, remember the there's a, uh, I want to say like um, they had fake dolls like just well fake doll all dolls are fake but it was like they looked like human babies but they were dolls and they put blood all over them and it was on the cover of a Beatles record. Uh, what was it? And it, it the that it got printed and sent out, but then the record company pulled it back in, and that album is like worth probably worth a lot of money. Yeah. I don't remember what album it was, but I only remember the story. I hadn't heard that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone right. knows the Beatles knows. I know you're running down on time because you're you're in demand. You're oh, an yes. busy person. Almost definitely. <laughs> I have to wrap it up. Um, if you've listened to the show with us today, and uh, first of all, thank you. We appreciate you listening in. We appreciate you finding us however you did. If you heard something that is interesting, you want to pursue it more, drop us a line. Kathy does a great job about putting all our contact information below, and she'll get links to everything we talked about down there as well. Um, if you'd like to, to have a conversation with us, we'd be more than happy to to speak to you maybe even have you on the show we've had a number of guests on the show and we always have some incredible conversations from it it's great to get outside input and perspective especially from automotive so if you're in the industry as a salesperson manager what have you uh, we want to hear from you um, obviously we love this business we got combined experience of like 90 years in the car business between the two of us that and marketing and social media management so give us a give us a, a note let us know what you're thinking. Um, if you're in sales, make sure you follow Kathy and download her ebook and jump in on her class, Social Selling. Uh, it's going to help you get better at what you're doing today, right now, with actionable stuff that'll help you uh, find success. And anything else I'm missing, Kathy? I don't think so, my friend. I think that's right, it. Then. I'm Mike the Car Guy. Kathy, I will let you sign us out. Thank you for joining the first pencil. Uh, yeah, and I'm Kathy Cruz, uh, maybe possibly in the future known as Kathy the Car Gal, but probably not. Um, yeah, <laughs> have a good week and um, and be careful out there because you just never know. Indeed. All Thank right. you so much. Bye for now.